No, I'm still not buying it. It's not just like, oh yeah, sit cross-legged on this chair and suddenly you're in the ceiling. Well, I mean, it, th that would depend on the chair. If it was a rocket chair. A rocket chair. Rocket chair! Dun, 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 dun. Oh, let's squidge up a bit here. That just sounds dangerous. What, squidging up? Or no, the chair? rocket chair. <laughs> They're poor, poor anuses. Unapologetically, just in the butt. Time after time. Yes. I mean, he's won, what, the last four? <laughs> well, he's not running against anyone anymore, is he? Uh, not really. Although, Cruz did win three in Oregon. But Cruz pulled out. Yeah. Oh, okay, he, no, but he didn't pull his name off the ballot, right? He's just stopped campaigning. He suspended his campaign. James, I think I screwed up. Damn it, that's the third time this week. Everything's on fire. Yeah, I got that. What's plan B? This was plan B. Looks like we've got to move on to plan C. <laughs> Oh yeah! Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Flat Two's Plan C, the podcast where two people who don't know what they're talking about talk about stuff. It's a Saturday morning. It's Saturday morning. We've, we've got, coffee. got coffee. We're ready to record. We're kind of raving to go, and we have a fantastic like knockout lineup for you this morning. Yeah, Jake, pretty pretty solid. Well, uh, you know, things have happened in the in America again. Yes. Um, I mean, we mentioned it a little bit uh, last week or the week before, but we're going to go a bit more in depth about what's happened over the last uh, five six weeks in the presidential race in Donkeys versus Elephants. Uh, we're then going to move on to the culture show where we're talking about Captain America Civil War. Massive spoiler alert. If you're one of the three people on the planet who hasn't seen this movie yet, we're it. basically going to ruin the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so go and watch it and then come back and listen to what is probably going to be a an extensive but not massive discussion because Dirk, yeah. Dirk has a lot to say. Dirk has... Thoughts. Dirk um, has many thoughts. We're then moving on to the playbook, where we're going to talk a little bit about um, electoral reform in the UK um, and why that's possibly important and what might be happening. Because there's been the... some grumblings in the last couple of months, and well, we thought maybe it was... in the last year and a bit. Yeah. More Ever like. since we realised that we gave the Tories all of the power, and that's bad. Uh, and then finally, we're moving on to the theory of nothing for the first in our series of tech discussions. Uh, this week we're dealing with nanotechnology and why it's terrifying slash awesome. Yep. How was your week? My week was pretty good. Um, I went and did some professional skills tests for my teaching application, so I now have a certificate from the government saying that I'm both numerate and literate. I also have one of those. I have those. Yes, I did, yes. Did mine a few it was uh, it was quite the experience. We went to a, 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 a like down to the south of Oxford where there's like a little. Um, and it's then like outside the ring road. On top of the little is this box where they do uh, testing for like uh, citizenship tests and this professional these professional skills tests that you need to do your teaching application. Um, and I sat these tests and like most of it was fine, but every now and then they like just randomly out of nowhere like this horrifyingly difficult question just like slaps you around the head. Quick, you have twenty seconds. What's fifteen percent of eighteen? <laughs> Like, you just work out 5%, right? And then you times it by 3. Yeah, but 5% of 18 is also not easy. Well, you just do 10% and then divide it by 2. That's smart. That's what I should have done. But, like... I know it's already been 20 seconds, <clears throat> but the answer's 2.7. 
Yes, but then you need to subtract <laughs> that from 18. Oh, to find 85%, sure. Yeah, because it, it's not it's not a simple question. Like most of it's like, ooh, like a bus takes twenty minutes to drive here, and it takes blah 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 fuel. How much fuel is used in total? And you're like, oh yes, that's just two times this number. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I had a rant at them about the Oxford comma in the feedback section because they don't. I don't really don't think they use the Oxford comma, and the Oxford comma is necessary for clarity. Yeah, we talked about that before. We've talked about the strippers, Stalin and Lincoln. Yes. Um, which always makes me laugh whenever I see that image. You know, we, we invited the strippers, comma, Stalin and Lincoln, and it's Stalin and Lincoln in, like, um, you know... Yeah, I know, I've seen, I've seen that you could put a link in the doobly-doo. Oh, yeah, put a link in the doobly-doo. Um, and then, you know, after these tests, I went downstairs, and, like, it was 20 minutes for my bus, and it was raining, so I went into the Lidl. Now, I'd never been into a Lidl before, and I found it to be a strange and terrifying place. It reminded me nothing so much as, like... The, if you took all the tills and the prices out, it would literally just be the warehouse that that one crazy guy you know down the street made in case of the apocalypse. Like there was Except all this overground, really long-lasting food and like deep freezers and shit, and there was nothing was branded, and there were hoses and and crap. I don't know. Um, I, I I found it to be scary, but like in case of the apocalypse, go and hide out in a little. Yeah, Dirk is learning about the real world. So I went in there uh, and I wanted a ready meal or something like something to eat because I hadn't eaten that day and I I couldn't find anything that like was there not some bread some flavored bread yeah <laughs> so I came out with a bag of coffee and a can of Pepsi and you just ate the bag of coffee on the street no that was your lunch uh, how was your week James uh, yeah it was okay um, it's been arts week um, at our college and so I have been. Spending the mornings writing my thesis, because now I'm not in the lab anymore. Except Tuesday, where I had to teach one of the postdocs how to use my experiment. Um, and so I've been writing in the morning and then going to a nice little lunchtime concert. We performed in one yesterday. We did. It was uh, it pretty good. Well. Um, and then I've been going to work and doing so much less than I've been getting done in the library. Honestly, I yesterday I wrote five pages in three hours in the library. And I wrote about a page at work. Yeah, three hours in the office. The library is a terrifying like hive of productivity. I'm in the library a lot at the moment because finals, four more weeks. Anyway, let's, Lord um, have mercy on our souls. Let's uh, should we crack on? Yes, um, we're going to record the news. Here are the headlines. We've got James out in the field. James, what's it like out there? Everything's on fire. Back to you in the studio, Dirk. Fantastic! Let's do the news! Hello, and welcome to Donkeys vs. Elephants! Yeah. Oh, you're not going to do an in the left corner, in the right corner thing? Well, there's no one left in the left corner. (laughs) Or, you mean the right corner? I mean the right corner. Although, Bernie... Anyway. Is there any hope left for Bernie, James? Um... Oh, I was doing a load of working out of numbers earlier. Um, no. No. <laughs> Basically, no. Um, is there any hope not left for Trump? Uh, he doesn't even need to win California anymore. So, basically, where we're at is <laughs> that we know who the president... Like, barring an act of God... Yeah. Like, I don't know, Trump being smitten down by a bus. Well, you know, maybe he chokes on one of his Trump stakes. Maybe he chokes on one of his promises. Ha. Huh. Uh, scathing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, so when we last left everybody, that was after kind of 
slightly less stupendous Tuesday. Yes. I, also known as when all the northeastern states did their thing. Or disappointing Tuesday. Disappointing Tuesday. We know that was when basically Hillary won all the things and Trump won all the things. And um, and we were like, oh, there might be a little bit of hope left if all of these things happen. And, and so none far, of none of them have. And it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, just invest that in some mortgage bonds and move that into some transport exchanges. And it's gone. I'll put a link to that. <laughs> South Park? Yes. Trip, uh, in the doobly-doo. Um, so, yes. So, basically what happened after that was Indiana happened. And Indiana... And boy, did Indiana ever happen. I mean, you know, again, Bernie won by, like, you know... Five, You know, whenever he wins, he wins small. And whenever he loses, he loses big. Um, and uh, Trump won the winner-takes-all. or It's possibly a winner-take-most, but he also ended up winning all of them anyway. And um, uh. what this did is it led to the uh, suspension of the campaigns of the two remaining runners, uh, old Teddy and John. Ted and John have... Their their, uh, their grand alliance against the evil fell apart, and it lasted now literally gone. a week. <laughs> yeah, surprising no one. Um, Cruz stabbed Kazik in the back, or the other way around. I can't remember. One of them started putting ads where they shouldn't have done, but that's all in the past now. Um, and Trump is now calling himself the presumptive nominee. Um, oh, of course, he because is because he basically is. I mean, he's currently. So we're talking to we're talking to you after. The Kentucky and Oregon. Oh results. yeah, we should explain that it is now Thursday. Oh yeah, it's now Thursday. So like five days have passed since we talked for an hour about Captain America, which you haven't heard yet. Which you have. Have they not heard that? Donkey's always goes first. Oh shit. <laughs> yes. So um, we ended up talking for an hour about Captain America: Civil War, which you will hear in a minute. Well, it wasn't quite an hour. It was forty minutes, maybe forty-five. We'll see. Um, so we've decided to draw. The, I, we were going to talk about proportional representation in the UK. Um, that is going away. Um, uh, it's so we're just doing next week, probably. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're just doing this. This uh, it's going to be a three segmenter. Yeah. Uh, because if we tried to make four segments, we'd end up with another um, season one, episode two. Do not listen to it. You no, have been warned. You have been warned. Um, yeah, I talked about Elon Musk for genuinely an hour. That was ill considered. Um, <laughs> And we promised we wouldn't do that anymore, so we've cut our weakest segment. Um, James, why don't you do us a rundown of some numbers? Yep, so it, uh, Trump took all in Indiana, and then since then we've also had Nebraska, West, in- West India, <laughs> yes. West Virginia, and Oregon in terms of uh, Republican caucuses, primary things, and uh, Trump has won all of them. Unsurprisingly. Um, with the, the Trump train has too much momentum. And then on the... Uh, a Democrat side Bernie has won the last well he's won four of the last six one was a dead heat 27 all and one Hillary won four to three so you know he's pulled out uh, let's see 12 uh, 20 delegates ahead yeah good uh, for Bernie from the last six but again you know in the past he's lost by 30 or 40 on several occasions so how do the numbers stand for the Democrat race at the moment? So currently... If we don't count superdelegates. If you don't count superdelegates, it's currently 1,768 to Clinton and 1,494. So there is a difference of um, 260, no, 274. Bernie is fuck-fuckity-fuck-fuck-fucked. Yeah, I mean, unless he has 
unless he literally wins California and then all of the superdelegates go, ooh, Bernie actually represents the people and the populist vote, so we're going to shift and make it proportional. How many uh, delegates are there in California? Uh, how many delegates? Mm. There are 546. Okay. Wow. California is really big. I always forget that. It's huge. Yeah. But um, as it stands at the moment, Hillary only needs about 120 of those. Yeah, so Bernie would have to win over 80% of the vote in California. Uh, yeah, and at the moment he's polling behind. Which would be challenging. Like, um, yeah, California is not known for its its love of nationalised healthcare. So yeah, um, so that's where we currently stand. Um, and yeah, as I said, Trump doesn't even... Trump could genuinely lose California. And I think all he needs to do is win... Uh, so New Jersey and Montana and South Dakota, the three remaining winner takes alls. Mm-hmm. If he wins all of those, which he will, he's won all the others, then he will be the nominee. So we are looking at a Trump versus Clinton race, which I imagine is going to very quickly descend into a lot of shit hurling. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I think the thing that I mean, I, I suppose we've seen this coming for a while now, but one of the things that kind of worries me is I. Whenever I'm reading up about what's going on in the race, you know, I'm seeing articles of, oh, I've been a Republican all my life, but Donald Trump hates women, so I'm going to vote Democrat this time. And I've seen Democrats going, I've been a Democrat all my life, but that whole thing with, like, Benghazi and, like, all the shady stuff that Hillary's done in her past, like, I just can't vote for her, so I'm going to do a protest vote and vote for Trump. And here's the problem, well, here is a problem with a kind of, you know, first-past-the-post, two-party type system your protest vote is voting for the other side. Yes. Well, you can spoil your ballot. You could spoil it. And, of course, there are write-ins and independents, of course. But, like, most people, if they... In the heat of the moment, if they're like, oh, I just cannot bring myself to vote for this party, they vote for the other one. What I wonder with this particular race is whether if there was a reopen reopen nominations uh, option... (laughs) Whether uh, Clinton and Trump would get fucked by that. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't, it's I don't think there would be enough votes to reopen nominations to... Um, nullify. Like, nullify the election, but it would certainly be a, a kind of scream in the void from the American people going, what the fuck is happening to our political system? So, yeah, um, and that, I mean, you know, we moan about the UK political system all but the time. Jesus but Christ, at least, America. you know, if you... You know, if you go, oh, I just can't bring myself to vote for the Tories this time because they're softening up. I'm going to vote English Democrat or something. Then there, there is a party there for is, you to do a protest and, vote. And also, there's always the Lib Dems. <laughs> like, if you're fed up with everyone and all you want to do, or, or the Greens. All the Greens. So like, they, yeah, I mean, UKIP, Lib Dems and the Greens are kind of the three kind of protesty vote parties that we've had in the last... Yeah. I mean, that's a really soft um, opening. Obviously, each of them do have their own dedicated, you know political membership yeah but base. like most the the, the, U, the the swelling UKIP support is really just a people getting angry at the depression which the depression the depression ah the immigrants are stealing our jobs they go it's not the immigrants stealing your jobs mate it's the depression right the recession whatever you want to call it <laughs> ah the recession recession okay. depression yeah, yeah it makes sense um so yeah basically where we stand at the moment is it's going to be Clinton versus Trump and my worry is basically you know it's always America is this crazy place where you know it's always 
about 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> Republican-Democrat. The swing voters are so important. And all it's going to take is a couple of reminders of w- something that one of them has said, and there will be protest voters that move sides, and we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, this is not going to be a campaign on political merit, right? It's going to no have way. Trump in it. Like, on political merit, you end up with Clinton because Clinton's the person who's going, well, we're just not really going to change anything. I was talking with a Trump supporter. Really? A genuine, warm-blooded, walking, talking Trump supporter um, the other day. Wow. Um, yeah, I didn't know they existed. I particularly didn't know they existed, like, within the Oxford population. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was going, oh, yes, but Trump's foreign policy is so great, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so what? His yeah. foreign policy is terrifying. Um, apparently he's really isolationist and wants to withdraw all of the troops out of everywhere and build a bunch of walls and this will be good for the American people look so I I went okay look I'm not going to fight you on this one if you believe that like rampant isolationism and a return to like the American policy in the 1960s of zero immigration never ever uh, is a good idea Uh, A you don't understand economics sure but but B like you're clearly so crazy we're going to have to try a different avenue so like I went from an economic front like you do realise that his tax plan results in the government running a deficit equal to 20% of the GDP every year according to independent analysts and he went, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Um, yes, it does, would be my argument. Um, of course it matters. So for the next 20 minutes, I was just going, so, like, I realise you like his foreign policy, but can you explain what you're going to do when the country has 200% uh, deficit, uh, 200% of GDP debt after four years of Trump's tax plan? And I got zip, no answer. Yeah, that's because there aren't, there is nothing There is no do. answer. Like, the only answer is, eh, it'll be fine. Which it won't. No. Probably. I mean, like, it's arguable whether he'll actually implement that tax plan, which is one of the points this guy brought up. I was oh, like, also, yeah. That's... I was like, if he's not going to implement the tax plan, why is he going to do any of the things he's saying? Yeah, bruh, exactly. bruh, bruh, bruh. Isn't it terrifying that you can... L- you, you know, you, uh, you know, prospective candidate for the US presidency... Wait, what? ...can say basically whatever you want on the campaign trail... And then you get elected, and you can just go. Ah, oh, no, I'm not, not going to do that. You know, or you, or you can just do, do the, spend the entire campaign trail, campaign trail, going. Yeah, I might do this. I might do that. Whatever, really. That's terrifying. You know, in the UK, people. You know, each party produces a manifesto that sets out exactly what they would do in government, and that is what they are elected to do. That is that. That is part of their mandate that they get from the people yeah if, if they get elected on those promises if what they're doing doesn't fit their mandate or contravenes their mandate which i imagine trump will have to do if he starts doing things like if if, if what you do in england contravenes your mandate parliament will be up in arms like the opposition party will basically start railing and hurling shit at you like you won't live out the week yeah. Look, look, look what happened to the Lib Dems. They ended up having to renege on like one of their more prominent promises, and the party is dead now. Yeah. Like if you lose the voters' trust in this country, and that's part of the problem, right? Because the the presidential candidates are held individually accountable. That doesn't really, as far as I can tell, reflect on their parties. Yeah, and I mean, people will always say that Trump doesn't really represent the. Um, Republican Party. But of course, like, you've only got two parties. How do you make a system work with only two parties? They don't. It doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't work. work. Like, the best case scenario is, like, the, the, the Senate, the House, and the the, the, the the executive branch, the presidency, are held by different parties. 
right? Because if one party has then all of compromise. them, compromise. If one no, if, oh, if one party has all of them, like they just do things kind of a little bit, and if they they don't, then nothing happens. Like we saw that. What what was it back in two thousand fourteen, fifteen, when they had the fucking breakdown, and everyone was like, "Oh, we're not going to fund any of the government," and like state people had to go home for three weeks or something because like they were arguing about Obama's fucking Obamacare for fuck's sake America like filibustering yep do you know how filibustering works these days you just you just say nah a lot right well what it used to be is that when you filibustered a bill like you stood up and you talked non-stop for days right you basically just like talked at the senate until you collapsed yeah Right? What happens now is you say, I'm filibustering, and everyone goes home. Basically. Like, you basically just click the filibuster box and government grinds to a halt. Because, like, you don't need to perform the personal sacrifice of standing there and talking at things anymore, which was the only way that power was kept in check. You just announce that you're filibustering, and then no one can do anything. How... How is that sane? How is that, you know, good political discourse? It isn't. It's the opposite of political discourse. It's political shutting up. Right. Donkeys vs. Elephants will be back, um, probably uh, not in the near future. Well, I think it will probably be back after California. Really? Um, will, yeah. we, will we have that much to discuss after California? I mean, Trump's I mean, going to win. We can... I mean, there might be some stuff that's happened in the meantime. Who knows? Yeah. Um, it may um, be that you don't hear from us again until after the conferences, and if the conferences are boring, we may not start talking until, like, the the monkeys start hurling shit in, what will it be, sort of... November? Well, August. July, August-ish is when the... Yeah, so probably the real crunch time is August, September, would be my guess. August, September. Yeah, so, like, we're going to put the presidential race on hold for a bit and find some other segments to fill our podcast, um, because I imagine it's all going to be very interesting in the near future. Uh, but we may come back to it uh, once or twice in between now and then. We are going to... You're, the next thing you're going to hear is... Um, the Culture Show. The Culture Show. Um, if you haven't seen Captain America, all of the spoiler alerts... Like, James and I basically dismantle the plot and look at it piece by piece. There's not a single bit that's that's left unspoiled, I think. Um, so, turn off now or skip to the end if you don't want to have the plot of Captain America spoiled... Go and watch that film. Yeah, then go. come back. And go and watch that film podcast. and come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. Uh, it is a bit of a it is a bit of a slog, um, so we apologise for that. Uh, but we will be back after the culture show in the theory of nothing. Good morning, listeners. This is James and Dirk coming to you from Flap Two Radio on seven to nine FM. Definitely not a military frequency. It's eleven AM on a Saturday morning, which means it's time for the culture show. So sit back. Relax. Warning, may cause death. And just feel smarter. Terms and conditions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, after that absolutely fantastic segment that we've definitely already recorded, uh, welcome to the Culture Show. Yeah. It's like, what, 12 o'clock on a Saturday, 11 o'clock on a Saturday, and that means it's time for us to talk about superheroes. Yes. Because superheroes are awesome. So we went to see Captain America, and once again, massive massive spoiler alerts yeah. uh, because I want to talk about uh, uh, the ways a bunch of these plot points were developed and you can't talk about that without like discussing the plot points and we are really going to ruin going to absolutely spoilers. everything yep um, go and watch this movie seriously if, if, if you haven't seen it go and watch this movie because it was absolutely spectacular James 
Yes. Initial thoughts. Um, I thought that it was mostly very good. Um, I think that it's not a very good entry point into the Marvel universe. God no. Because there is so little backstory yeah, this for movie, anything that happens. This but, but, they, but if they tried to, I mean, the only backstory that there really is is Spider-Man's, and even that is just Tony Stark and, kind of and turning Black up. Panther. We've got uh, Black Panther. Well, Black Panther existed before his father was killed, right? He doesn't come out of the dust to avenge people. Like he, he's he explains that Nigeria has always had the Black Panther. Yeah. And now it just happens that the Black Panther is also the king. Yeah. But that that's not even that much backstory. It's not Nigeria. It's Wadiwaya. Okay, Wadiwaya. But which is a which is a kingdom in Nigeria? <laughs> I I don't know. There well, was jungles and shit. Huh? Lagos is the capital of Nigeria, right? Oh, yeah, I have no idea. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It's a made-up country. Yeah, sure. But it's a kingdom. <laughs> yes, it within, is a king. within with an a king. Existing. Yes. A king anyway. who complained about, you know, a lack of democratic accountability, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, mm-hmm. um, see her yesterday. And, and she had no backstory. I think that she's possibly seen one of the Iron Man movies before, and that's yeah. it. I think if you want this movie really to make sense plot-wise, you, need, you need all the Avengers. You need all three Iron Mans, at least the first Avengers... Preferably, the, the second Captain is not Americas. as necessary. Both Captain Americas. Um, Where yeah, does Ant Man turn up? Oh, Ant Man, you can do without really. But no, you wait. don't need Ant Man's backstory for this to make sense. But in order for the character development to make sense, you need all three. Um, uh, like Avengers: Age of Ultron, I think you could probably miss out, and it would still make sense because there wasn't that much. Yeah, uh, Age of Ultron was but disappointing that, in terms that, of um, character development slash. Plot relevance. Yeah, so what I what I really want to say is that if you go and watch all of that back catalogue of Marvel films, then this, this is great. Film makes perfect sense. It's it yeah, it makes sense. And because they don't have, you know, a lot of the Marvel movies have a lot of exposition, a lot of backstory. Yeah. Um and this one was really just like, okay, so we've set up the basis for this conflict. Conflict Yeah. Um which I thought was really good. It was really well done. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I, I, I tremendously enjoyed it. I came out of it and, and had to spend about 15 minutes picking through my brain. Like, this movie was almost two and a half hours long. And yep. I was genuinely 100% engaged all the way through. Really? Yeah. Did it feel too long to you? No. No? I, I don't think so. It I was. Mean, there was a bit where... So I feel like maybe it's a bit slow in the beginning. Yes. Up until the scene at the airport, Yeah. everything is a little bit... But slow, and there's a lot of talking. There is a fair bit of talking, but, but I don't think I don't, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. No, I'm just saying that there is a sudden pace shift when we get to the airport scene. Yeah, the whole thing shifts into gear, and the rest of it is just basically like it's half like the tragedy of the breakdown in the relationship between Iron Man and Captain America, and the other half is just a whole bunch of punching. Mm. And most of the breakdown is expressed through a bunch of punching, which yeah. <coughs> I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. So, um. I, I, I have a couple of... Uh, do you have any sort of more specific thoughts before I basically just go off on one? Yes. Um, so just to talk a little bit more... Uh, to talk a bit about kind of the technical presentation of the film. Um, I think that overall it was quite a well-shot film. Mm. Um, except... The, the, well, the shooting in Siberia was absolutely spectacular. So I think on, on average, very good. But there was a couple of... Um, you know you know the thing that I hate that cameras do sometimes? No. When it looks like you're a news crew and you're kind of something happens over there so you pan and then you zoom in that happened a couple of times but I think that it was more than made up for by the side scrolly bit mm. that they have when um when Bucky you know when Bucky um gets out of the like cell thing that he's in when he's being questioned yeah 
Um, and then uh, uh, Captain America and um, oh, what's his name? Um, Falcon. Falcon. That's the <laughs> bird guy. Bird guy. <laughs> when they come, come in and try and find it. And then they have this fight and it's like a side-scrolling platform. Yeah. I thought that more than made up for the, a couple of slightly dodgy news crew shots. Yeah. Um, from from but, a yeah. technical point of view, the filming was, was excellent. Also, I can't really remember anything about the music. No, neither can um, I. That's possibly a good thing. I remember noting at the time that several bits of it... Oh, quite, one, yeah, I do have one other thing about the technical presentation. The whole, like, artsy... London and Berlin when they changed um, yeah. location. I thought, so probably what happened is they got to the end of the film and they went, huh, there's very little like parallel location things. That means that we can really do this whole like single location exposition type stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just went a little bit too far. Quite possibly. Because often in other films, especially superhero films, there's kind of one battle going on in this side of the world and one battle going on here, and it kind of flicks between them, and you're like, are they both going to get their stuff done on time? Is one of them going to lose? Is one of them going to win? What's going to happen? Obviously, yeah. they both win in the end. Yeah. Because they sure. always do. But because it was well, so. Well, they didn't in this film. Yeah. But because it's. Sorry. Because this film was so kind of single location at a time. Yeah. They did this whole like. <laughs> Brooklyn! Yeah. Queen! Like, and I thought. It was a. It's a bit ham handed. It's a. It felt slightly out of place. Mm. Um, it it but, wasn't really necessary. Yeah, like, especially ones where if you're it's gonna, very obvious, the city. Like, the London shots. Yeah, because you've like, got the, you the, 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 the London Eye and the Houses of Parliament and things. Like, you know when you're in London and you know when you're in New York. Like, yeah. maybe you don't know when you're in Berlin. Yeah, or Vienna, maybe. I don't, who knows? Yeah. Um, also, does that building in Vienna actually exist? Which one? The place where they were having the UN... Quite possibly, uh, but it probably really cool. isn't a UN building. Sure. Would be my guess. That's re- it's a really cool building. Sorry. Um, yeah. It's time so for you to now. Speak from from some a words. musical point of view, I thought um, it set the tone really well. There was there was basically no memorable music in there. Like oh, there, I, well, there I, I was could, one that I sang along to because I knew it. I, I couldn't hum a single thing from that movie. I saw it a week ago, but I thought you know I, I pay attention to these things because like at some point my mind broke and I now can't watch things uncritically. Um, I thought the music was set the tone really well but wasn't perhaps necessarily particularly memorable like it is in Star Wars um, I don't particularly mind that but that, that is a point you know um, so let's start with uh, like the plot right so I read I read some review, reviews this morning um, particularly I read some reviews of the film that reviewed it negatively because like it received almost overwhelmingly positive reviews like five out of five three three and a half out of four kind of Thing, you know, really, Rotten Tomatoes love this film. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's uh, on. I, I did load this up. Oh, I think it was 92% yeah. Tomatoes. Um, but there were some negative reviews, and I was kind of curious what, you know, the negative reviews were complaining about. And some of them were like, um, some, some of them complained that, you know, there was too much going on, which is fair, particularly if, you know, you, you don't hold the whole Marvel catalogue in your head yeah, all the time. This film is is the reward for sitting through all the backstory. Yeah. Right. So, I'm going to take these negative reviews and basically break them down because I just disagreed with all of them. Not because I'm a fanboy, but because, you know, I genuinely believe that everyone who sort of, like, most, I'm sure there's there's a lot of negative things to say about this film. It did make mistakes. There were problems with it, right? It wasn't, by any stretch of the imagination, absolutely perfectly perfect. Um, So, there are negative things to say and I think you know, if you're going to write a bad review, actually pick up on the problems with the film, rather than going, you know, um, I think claims that the, 
the the tone was off are just unfounded probably no i think that um you know i i, I think that it's probably fair to if, if you really think about you have to pretend that you're each of the characters right especially yeah. you know, when it gets to the bit where you know they're basically where the where the rift happens where it's like the un want yeah. to you know put you in a box is that okay and you have to think about what each of the characters actually knows about what's currently going on and what they've done in the past and i guess if you don't know enough of that then it can be quite confusing and yeah. be like well it seems a bit random that they just kind of created this i'll, I'll get back to that in a minute because I thought that was actually really well done, but it does require like basically the Knowing entire stuff. backstory of every character. Yeah. Because if you if you know all of it, right? If you've seen every film and paid attention to, and I've seen most of those films multiple times, like every character acted consistently, and I'll get back to that in a minute. But from the plot point of view, right? You have this guy, and he was in Sokovia, and like his family died, and it was the Avengers' fault, and he basically wants to tear them apart from the inside, right? Yep. So, and this is where it gets really convoluted. Right, um, and there was a lot of claims in these reviews that this plot made no sense. Right, so I'm going to address that because I think they're wrong. <laughs> so, why couldn't you just be like that lady by the lift and just give Iron Man a, a picture of your dead son and yeah. say this is your fault and then leave? So what this guy somehow decides to dig up is that the Winter Soldier killed Stark's parents. Right. Yes. And this is the rift. This is how he wants to put that rift in there. Yeah, that's right? what he wants to use as the crowbar. Yeah, and so he does all of these things. He stages this attack by the Winter Soldier so that they can track him down, so that they can find him, so that they can lock him up, so that he can like use his his like mental training to basically turn him back into a drone, um, and basically just cause a bunch of chaos essentially, so that they can get everyone to this random location in Siberia where he can show this video. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, his plan failed miserably. And, they were already fighting before and the entire collapse of the Avengers had absolutely nothing to do with his machinations no it had everything to do with the fact that um, Captain America believed that Bucky was a changed man and nobody else did yeah basically so to, to people who think this plot doesn't make sense like sure it doesn't make sense if you view like the guy who's running around doing things as the actual villain mm. right his main purpose in the plot was to make everyone think that he was trying to activate more of these super soldiers. Yeah. That was his main role. And like this video at the end that they showed, right? That's going to be important, but ultimately like they were fucked way before he started. Yeah, it's it is a little bit weird that he felt like he had to do it in Siberia. Like and not just get well, somewhere he, else and show it. But it, I suppose he he needed all that pretense. The guy was kind of bonkers, Yeah, but right? he needed all the pretense, right? Yeah, but Captain America almost didn't show up in Siberia. Uh, not Captain America, Iron Man almost didn't show up there. Like, in terms of his machinations, like, a lot of what he did actually actively worked against his plan. Yeah, he's not the smartest. This guy was a really bad villain, right? But when you look at it from a point of view of this guy is kind of bungling around, and meanwhile, for completely different reasons, the Avengers are completely falling apart, it starts to make a lot more sense. And I believe that's what they were going for. If not, then they seriously fucked up on their plot structure. Yeah, no, I, I think that it was quite obvious that the rift was being caused around Bucky and not around. Yeah, the 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 guy was or not, the guy was peripheral, plot. and he certainly added some tension because everyone thought, oh fuck, if they don't like get Come back, back together. together, then this guy's gonna release all these soldiers and whatever, right? So from a plot point of view, I thought it was 
I thought that was a really interesting choice because it didn't really have uh, like the standard plot arc for a superhero movie. Yeah, that's true. There was no real villain you needed to take down. Like the 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 main subject matter of this film was a very introspective look by Marvel at like look at all of this destruction we caused. Like, is this really acceptable? And there's genuine arguments like on both sides there. Yeah. So that brings me on to the second point I wanted to explore, Ooh. right? Yeah. Which is what Vision said. Right? Yeah. Uh, the quote, oh, how did it go? Like, our very strength invites challenge. Yeah. Right? And challenge creates something, beginning with C. Conflict. Uh, Is it just challenge conflict? creates conflict. Conflict leads to catastrophe. That's the one. I think it's the quote. Right. So, I think he's right. Yeah. Right? Let's do a quick rundown of where all the villains come from in Marvel movies. Oh. Right? Okay. okay. We're going to start with the easy ones. Thor, like the main, the only villain really that wasn't created by the Avengers is Loki. Yep. And Loki's just a spoiled brat. So unfortunately, that conflict happened to spill over onto Earth. Yeah. Right. So That's if true. we if we start with Iron Man, right? Iron Man one, uh, the villain was created by Iron Man essentially. Yep. Right. Obadiah would never have been so much of a threat if Iron Man hadn't given him a suit. You know what? That sounds awfully like the plot of Iron Man 2, where another guy comes up with Iron Man technology and Iron Man has to stop him. And yeah, it's better Iron Man technology. Like, while we're on the subject, Iron Man 3. Iron Man I'm 3, Iron Man actually, ages. that was um, the one where the, the, they had the, like, the fire-modified people. There's a villain that Iron Man didn't create. They were like blowing people up and shit, remember? Iron Man spent a lot of time like this suit broken. Yeah, it was is that a- the one where he has like an, a, a fleet of... Yeah. Like, he, like most of that film was uh, spent basically exploring the complete breakdown of his psyche after New York, which is you know fair enough. Yeah. Um, again, back to that later. Um, so Iron Man three, we didn't create the villain. Iron Man one and two, we did. Captain America one, the villain was the Nazis. So yeah. yeah. Uh, two, the villain was kind of the, the Nazis, Winter, but also kind of the Winter Soldier. It yeah, was. but really it was Hydra. Yeah, really it was Hydra. So I guess like Captain America doesn't create his own villains in that way um, the Hulk the villain was oh created by the same technology as the Hulk I'm starting to see <laughs> yeah. a, a, a trend here um, you know which might even become relevant a bit later on in, in the theory of nothing talking about technology and yeah the hurts. Avengers the first one was Loki but the second one like that was like Iron Man and, and Bruce Banner pissing around and they accidentally created Ultron and then they had to blow up an entire city to stop him yeah like Overwhelmingly, most of the villains in the Marvel universe are created by themselves, by or the, by the same like, the same technology that ultimately normally is controlled by the the person who is the hero. So, in that, I think Vision has a point. And moving further on that one, like I think his point that a lot of people feel the need to like make all this destructive technology to challenge the Avengers because they wouldn't be able to do things if they didn't have that destructive technology is true, right? The existence of the Avengers really, really, really ups the bar in terms of like what kind scale. of weapons you need to bring to the fight. Exactly, scale and the wise. bigger your weapons, the bigger your collateral damage. So from that point of view, I thought that was actually a really cogent point. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, and they do cause a shit ton of collateral damage. Always. always. And no, it's not always their fault, but... Yeah, Vision is right. The fact that they exist means that the the stakes are up to the point where this collateral damage does happen. Yeah. 
where alien technology uh, what is it? Is it in New York where there's like those huge like okay that that cat- wasn't their ca- fault caterpillar ship things that just like smash into all the things that wasn't their fault what I would admit because they had to bring alien technology to the fight no 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 those aliens were coming for the tesseract oh shit they were coming for the tesseract yeah no that was no that was Shield's fault technically luckily Shield was like infiltrated by Hydra people and was shut down in the Winter Soldier so. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So then we move on to what I think is the most interesting aspect of the film, which is the complete, comprehensive breakdown of Tony Stark's psychology. He he has sadness. Right. We start with he like has pent up emotions. If we start with uh, Iron Man one, right. Oh right. Okay. All the way back at the start, right. We have arrogant Tony Stark who was selling weapons to terrorists. Yeah. Right. Millionaire, philanthropist, playboy. And like particularly, no. particularly, um, you know, we, we, the first two Iron Man films are basically about him coming to terms with the fact that you know the technology he brings into the world is going to be used to destroy things. So first he tries to stop that by basically shooting all of his technology. When that doesn't work, you know, he he, you know, we have the Avengers, and then like he basically saves the whole world by throwing a nuke at the mothership. Great film, obviously. Great <laughs> fucking film, honestly. Uh, and like, this is where it really starts to go wrong for him, right? Because he he starts having these nightmares, and then you have all of Iron Man three with him kind of basically slowly breaking down, and then he gets rid of all of his suits, and then he builds more suits. Clearly, because like, what else is he gonna do? Well, you you know, you start twiddling your thumbs, and you're like, I wish I had my rocket 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 powered suit again. I'm gonna make a rocket powered yeah. suit again. So like, he gets, and you can see during Iron Man three, like. He's basically just spending all of his time in his fucking garage building like this enormous like armory of, of remote controlled suits that he then all blows up. Like this is not a mentally stable guy, right? Well, yeah, that's true. He blew them all up because his girlfriend asked him to. Not a mentally stable guy, right? And then we have Age of Ultron, where like he creates Ultron and then they blow up a city. And he's you can if you actually watch him through the film, you can track the way he's really just going downhill. By the time that woman hands him a picture of her son, like, by that elevator, mentally, he's just fucked. Yeah, and and you can see that it changes him, because then when they go back to the safe house, and they start talking about the UN resolution, and he just, like, puts the photo there, and is like... Yeah, this yeah, is a guy with serious issues. He's the fucking problem, Right? <laughs> Tony Stark is the problem at the heart of the Avengers at this point. Like It's because he's the human one, right? Mentally, he's completely broken down. Pepper's abandoned him. That's not good for him. Yeah, but also, like, but he is the human. Yeah. Pretty much, right? He's the only person who isn't in some way mutant or augmented. Like, uh, no, no. Uh, Rhodey, who oh, flies like War got... Machine and the Falcon and Paul Rudd. Ant-Man. <laughs> I always think of him as Paul Rudd. Yeah, but, no, but Ant-Man is kind of He's, he's, he's augmented in the same way that Iron Man is. By a suit. But also all his body doesn't die when he shrinks. Which must be some kind of, you know, world record. Um, but also, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Except... So, by the okay, time... But, but, but he is the main... Okay, I mean, of the main Avengers... Yeah, he's, he's the human he, one. He's the human one, and he is the problem because... Tony, Tony Stark is the rotting, uh, the rotting, beating heart in the middle of the Avengers that's really fucking everything up. Like, he's the guy that created Ultron. He's the guy that's forever running off and blowing things up. Like, he's flip-flopping all over the place. And then someone comes along and he says, Right, I will take 
all this responsibility away from you if you sign this document. Is it any wonder that he's basically queuing up and going, yes, please, take away my responsibility. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Yep. This guy is burdened by the weight of all of the destruction he's caused, right? And someone offers him the opportunity to take it all away. And I think, like, this is the same guy, mind you, that was standing up in front of the American government not three years ago, basically flipping the, the burden, going, you can't have my suit, you wankers. And now he's like, please, for the love of God, take away the responsibility because it's killing him. Or take away the blame, yeah. Yeah. Take away the blame, right? He doesn't think that they're going to be better off under UN, UN supervision. He just doesn't want to be blamed. He, does, he wants to be able to shift the burden of responsibility onto someone else because mentally it's destroying him. Yeah, that's a very good... And he is not acting rationally during this film, right? You no. can see that. Like, he, he's particularly in the last scene he's, he's where, very you know, affected by he, everything. He, he turns up and he's like, ah, oh, we're all buddies. And then, like, he sees this video and he just snaps. Like, that's not a rational response. Yeah, but, like, yeah, but, like, you, you're kind of allowed to have an irrational response to seeing a video of your parents being killed, I guess. Especially when we see earlier in the film that, like, he kind of admits in front of that audience at MIT that he has, like, issues surrounding yeah, like his I'm parents' saying, death. Like I'm saying, he's not rational. I mean, who doesn't have issues surrounding their parents' death? Probably. Right. If my, if my parents died, I'd be pretty bummed about it, but, like, I wouldn't, like, what go... What if you couldn't say whatever he wanted to say before his dad like, left? No, he know? had a fucked-up relationship with his parents, which arguably is the root of all of his problems. Daddy issues. Daddy issues. Massive, massive, massive daddy issues. And the biggest daddy of them all, the bloody UN, comes along and says, I will protect you, my son. Of course he goes and signs. Meanwhile, Captain America... <sighs> so, yeah. In terms of this conflict, there are very good arguments on both sides. On the one side, you do need accountability. But on the other side, like... Every time they've been accountable to someone, whether it be S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever, like, it's turned out that that's been infiltrated and then basically used for political machinations. So ultimately, right, if they want to have this power, they need to take the responsibility for themselves. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Captain America is definitely the face of that kind of idea, right? Because he is, you know, quote-unquote 100 or so years old. And, you know, yeah. he doesn't have any kind of emotional ties to the world. No. He's very much removed, especially once... Um, yeah, I wish them good luck locking once, Thor um, up if he breaks the Sokovia Accords. Like, once, um... Peggy? Peggy. Yeah. So yeah, when Peggy when Carter. Died, yeah, when Peggy Carter dies in this film. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Never mind. Um, nah, everyone you know, sort of that, is, that is literally... That's it that, That's him. pretty much the last emotional tie he has to the world. Yeah. And so after that, he is free to be to think rationally about the situation his, his psychology is also really really well explained and explored through it's remarkable how much like genuine personal moments they manage to fit into in between all of the punching like by the time we get to Captain America 3 Iron Man 3 like you actually have a really lucid idea of the depth of this character these characters actually have depth yeah. and I think that's really impressive it is it's, it's super impressive so uh, like, uh, uh, so on the Captain America side of things, right? He's also acting completely within character. Like he doesn't want to be held accountable, and he ultimately feels that it's not a question of whether or not they're accountable, but a question of whether or not they have the the you know the honor to take responsibility for their own actions. I think for him the issue is not so much that they're going to be under someone's thumb. Right, as it is that they 
as people, as you know, these people with these powers need to stand up and be responsible for their own actions. You can't like sign away your responsibility like this and basically go, it's not my problem, right? It goes back to the, the classic Spider-Man you know, uh, quote, with great power comes great responsibility. You can't yeah. just sign that away to a bunch of bureaucrats because someone wants you to. So do you think that all the people, all of the group that were in favour of the signing had the same motivation and that was about shifting blame or do you think that some had no. shifting blame and I mean like obviously Vision's motivation was that he thought genuinely that yeah, the, 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 the current state of the Avengers was too net destructive yeah Vision genuinely believed there was too much destruction I think we, we covered his quote earlier Black Widow just wanted peace but essentially. she then flip flopped and... yeah well she was more concerned with keeping the unit together than she was About with whether or not under... they were under someone's control right and I think I think it, it's a, but basically yeah so that is the right answer um, it was a bit of a loaded question because basically I think they were in a way they were trying to explore that multiple multiple there could be multiple justifications for there could be multiple justifications for believing in this side of the argument versus another and it's yeah. not as clear cut as there is this line or there is this line and they are opposing yeah I think ultimately there the, a lot of exploration of ultimately the solution to the that. thing is like there does need to be accountability but it's accountability not to the UN Sure. Yeah. They need shield back. They, well, no, they don't need shield back. Shield they need a... shield sans Hydra. <laughs> they, they, what they need is um, Nick Fury. Because Samuel L. Jackson will fix all of the problems all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so um, just moving back to um, other things. What did you think of um, Spider-Man? So... Different take on the character to both Tobey Maguire and I can see there's another loaded question. Both Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield was very dark and angry and punchy. Uh, Tobey Maguire was sassy, is the best way to, to put it. This one was more like, oh my god, I'm a teenager, I have superpowers, and look at all the things I can do. Yeah. And did you like that? I have mixed feelings. Um, I thought it, it successfully captured an aspect of the character. Unfortunately, I also found him quite annoying. Yeah, but also, do you not? Did you find that um, he provided some sort of comic relief? Mm -hmm. um, I also liked. So, I mean, obviously, Deadpool was kind of the extreme of this oh, idea. Fucking brilliant movie! <laughs> but so I, good. I felt like there was there. I mean, without kind of all of the sarcasm and fourth wall stuff. I mean, there was a tiny bit of fourth wall stuff when he. Um, when when Spider-Man is chasing down Falcon and Bucky and like you know gets them bound to the floor and then he's like trying to ask him about his wings and whether they're made of carbon fiber and stuff and Falcon is just like you know there's usually not that much talking in fighting or whatever yeah and that's a bit that's a little bit fourth wally and I, th I thought that actually a lot of his quips were brilliant like when he's pointing at the shield and he goes that thing just doesn't obey the laws of physics <laughs> yeah I think that I, I, I actually really he enjoyed added, he added a lot yeah I mean obviously as maybe as I mean not as a not it's not like just his voice was annoying but like you know having there were I think a lot of his contribution was great in terms of comic relief mm -hmm. but there were a few I think unnecessary just like woo yeah yee, he got a little bit irritating bits. it was like having a toddler um, running around at times but that's like that's Spider-Man right it is a toddler running around with fucking web slingers he's a teenager but I, I thought I, I really enjoyed um, the inclusion 
Shall we quickly wrap up with some some macro commentary about you know how the whole movie was put together? I particularly want to compare it to Batman versus Superman. I've not seen it. Okay, but you can talk about it anyway. Um, so it was ambitious. Oh, what's this movie? To basically make an Avengers three called Captain America three. Yeah, but just the sheer amount of stuff they tried to put in this movie. If this had been any other movie, like it would have just been fucked Hulk from the two. ground up, right? The reason this worked is because all of these characters have extensive backstory already. Yeah. Right? Really extensive backstory. Like, I think, uh, with the exception of Black Widow and Hawkeye and War Machine and Falcon... Didn't Hawkeye have his own film? Did that happen? No. No. They all had their own movies, right? Okay. And Hawkeye and Black Widow have had extensive... Extensive backstory... And character development in the Avengers films, right? Their their relationship, their friendship has been like really explored a surprising amount, in, considering it's so plot peripheral. And also, uh, some of Black Widow's history comes out in Captain America two. Yeah. The one where at the end she releases all the files, and oh, one of them's yeah. like, "Are you sure you're ready for the world to know who you really are?" Oh, and that's never picked up on. No, <laughs> but um, um but, yeah, there is there is some backstory. Um, there. Like. Falcon has quite a bit of backstory from Captain America. Too. Yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We've like the, the, the whole character's backstory was ex- essentially expressed in Captain America too. Um, and oh, who was the last one? War Machine. Um, um, Rhodey. Like a lot of backstory there as well. Like his friendship with um, Iron Man goes way back, and like the, the the side of the line he fell on. Like obviously, you you find him there, and I I. I can absolutely see, like, from, from the backstory of Falcon, why he would land up on the opposite side of the conflict, because, you know, just it's consistent with the way he behaved in Captain America 2. He was ex-military, and he did go outside the law to take this stuff, because he did feel like, you know, obeying the law. It, it's all remarkably consistent. Yeah. Like, I mean, well, they have a lot... Of, I mean, that's the thing. Because there is so much um, kind of quote-unquote canon... It's, it's what amazing blows that my it's mind is that they made it all consistent. Can you think of a single plot hole? Go. Um, not off the top of my head. I've got one. Oh, right, I okay. found one, right? Yep. That psychologist um, who from the start was asking for a mission report December 1991, yep. right? How did he know what he was looking for? That's the only thing that was never explained. The only thing they never explained was how did he know that he could find that video? Maybe he had his suspicions because he got into some hydrophiles, but I wish that had been explained. Maybe that was in a scene that got cut, but that's the only plot hole I could find in the whole thing. Okay, maybe he did his research on Stark and found that... Or like, you know, he went to the the graveyard and found, you know, Mr. Stark and Mrs. Stark died December sixteenth, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. That could I mean this is a death dates are not particularly private necessarily. No, but this is a random guy from the Sokovian military, some batshit stupid country in the middle of like the fucking old Soviet Union, like with, with no history, no connections. How did he find this out? I think he just did his research because he did obviously did. Some Although research. Captain America knew, and they never explained how he knew that either. Yes, they did. Did I ex- miss? Did no, I they miss? They didn't some... explain how he knew that Bucky was had killed him, had killed them. 
because he was still in the ice back then. I must have missed something. They they must have set this up in some movie somewhere, and like we missed that. Yeah, I can't think of where. It's definitely not in either of the first two Captain Americas. Hmm. Maybe it was on Shield files. Anyway, that's like literally the only plot hole. So they set up this incredibly ambitious movie with all of these different characters, all with their own backstories. They managed to develop, like, what, 10, 15 characters consistently through a whole movie. Yeah. And, like, this this plot would never have worked without all that backstory. Like, not only did they make the plot work despite the backstory, they made the plot work because of the backstory. They must have been setting this up for years. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make me very excited that I think that they, you know, I mean, I think we know all the Marvel films that are coming out until 2019 or 2020. Yeah. And that that particular... The particular graphic I'm thinking of, I think, has been out for at least a couple of years. And so if the studios have this big macro how story are they, that How are they that keeping spinning, this under control? It's amazing. They, they've got all these different directors working on all of these different films, and yet somehow when it all comes together in movies like this, everything is consistent. What the... F- Fuck! It's who do they have? Do they have like some guy with the, all of this in his head, and like everyone who wants to do something goes to him and says, "Is this insert tiny plot thing okay?" And the guy goes, mm, "No," because <laughs> blah. like some guy must just have the whole canon in his head somewhere because otherwise it doesn't work. Maybe Stanley. Maybe is Stanley. The crea- maybe they, maybe they just check everything with Stanley. Oh, I hope they wrap him in bubble wrap and make sure that he has good health care. Well, he's in all of the movies, isn't he? Yeah, I know. He was the FedEx guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's in... Like, I, actually, I remember when it got to that final scene, I was like, I don't remember seeing Stan Lee And anywhere. then suddenly, and suddenly <laughs> Stan Lee. Okay. Mr. Stank. <laughs> Next, Tony one. Stank. Next one. Next uh, one. How did you feel uh, the balance was between combat, humour, and like the really actually quite heavy subject matter that they discussed? It wasn't just... A, like This has genuine relevance today in sort of... With, with with sort of state surveillance on the up and sort of accountability sort of basically transcending everything you know the the military for example is is just that this the, the subject matter they discussed genuinely has real world implications and was really quite serious and how did you feel that the balance between those three aspects fell out so i feel like had spider-man not been there then the balance would have definitely been out in terms of comic to serious um i think that one of the really interesting things about Spider-Man was a really clever way of introducing that comic relief without yeah. breaking character. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think God damn, this was a well-made movie. I think that one of the things that made this different from other Captain America movies and from the Avengers movies is that there wasn't any kind of large-scale battle, like between airships and drone ships and jets and. Well, they had guns. the battle in the airport, which I imagine was quite high budget. Uh, uh, yes, I'm not talking about budget. I'm just talking about scale. Yeah. And I think because it was, you know, person versus person rather than big force versus other big force, I felt that actually they got away with putting so much combat in there because it was all kind of slightly smaller scale. Because, you know, you you only followed, you know, Black Panther versus Falcon or Bucky versus Spider-Man or something at once. Yeah. Rather than trying to watch, like, say, the New York battle in the first Avengers... Where just, just for half is, an hour, there's all of the explosions all everywhere, the, all the airships everywhere, all the everything, all the Hulk everywhere, like all of the Hulk everywhere, <laughs> you know. And and I, I think that actually, it, if if there had been any massive scale battles, it could have got quite overwhelming and mm. 
off, off out of balance. I felt the pacing was really well done because they had the setup and then they had some combat and then it had some more setup and then there was more combat and then there was the scene with the prison and then the brutal brutal scene at the end between uh, after that video is shown between Iron Man Captain America and Bucky where they're throwing the shield between each other and they're like beating the guy down horrifying horrifying scene I will, I'm not afraid to admit that I shed a tear at the end of that scene what for, for Iron Man just no for the for the like the amount of destruction okay right just like they beat the guy down and they ran ran the shield into his chest and he's lying there and then he's he, that's not your shield bam drops it walks away absolutely perfect moment i remember half an hour before the end i was sitting there and i was going they're not going to resolve it are they they cannot if they want this film to work they cannot resolve this conflict then they did just about no they didn't well, okay, yeah, they, okay, yes. I mean, it was left with a bad taste in the mouth. I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, this conflict is well, I mean, not almost, resolved. Okay, I mean, all the conflict between the rest of the Avengers was pretty much resolved, like between you know, Vision and see. I Falcon don't. I else. don't think so. I really. I felt no, like no, that was they, all kind of. They sent up. this letter at the end, like with the mobile phone, right? I reckon this is not even close to fucking done. We are not going to see a reunion of the Avengers until the end of Infinity Wars Part 2. Because the, the next Avengers is a two-parter, right? Yeah. I, I think, think next year. The way I understand it, Part 1 is, like, the Captain America team and Part 2 is Iron Man team or the other Ooh. way around. That's interesting. Right? This conflict is going to remain unresolved, Right? They left this here. Tony Stark is not anywhere close to being mentally able to resolve this conflict, right? They left it completely fucked. And I thought that was really brave. And I think a lot of people haven't picked up on that. I mean, I, I thought it was obvious that this conflict was completely unresolved at well, the end I, of the film. So, okay, well, the feeling that I got was that, yes, between Captain America and Iron Man... Well, I mean, I think that, like, Iron Man... Uh, no, sorry, Captain America, in the letter and everything kind of you know he's putting his hand out for it to be sh to, to you know have Stark a isn't going to take it and yeah well it didn't look like Stark was going to take it um, at that point um, but I felt but like all the other Avengers were kind of you realise that Iron Man and his team have basically fucked off right but they've all gone and set up base in Wadi Waya. Um yes but I I feel like the bad feelings between like say Falcon and Vision and Black Widow and Hawk yeah those right, are resolved are but resolved. ultimately the conflict between Captain America and Iron Man was central to the film and that's been left really just untouched and I thought that was really brave Infinity War Part 1 isn't until May 2018 yeah! but in that's the meantime that's two years from now in the meantime what are we getting we between have, now and then okay between now and then in terms of Marvel we've got Doctor Strange um Ooh, that should be quite good. The Sinister Six. Doesn't Doctor Strange a... have? Um, I don't know. Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Oh yes, he is Doctor Strange, isn't he? Anyway, oh. so Doctor Strange is in oh, November. Oh Marvel, and, and the Marvel, thank you. Oh, thank you. And Marvel. the Sinister Six, which is a Spider-Man universe one. Yes, we're also getting a Spider-Man reboot again, aren't we? Um, yes. And then next year is Wolverine Three: Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Oh, that's gonna be so good. Um. The next Thor movie, a Black Panther movie, another wait. Female, this is all next year. This is all 2017. An, Holy another, shit! What a um, year! Female-led Spider-Man spin-off. 
Venom. Um, what are we getting in the rest of this year? The rest of this year is just Doctor Strange and Sinister Six. Plus right. also Suicide Squad, X-Men, and X-Men Apocalypse, but they're DC. No, uh, X-Men uh, is Marvel. X-Men is Marvel, but Sony. Sui- yeah, uh, Fox. Yeah, um, Fox, Sony, whatever. Sony, yeah. Um, Suicide Squad is DC. I want to finally finish with a comparison with um, Batman versus Superman. And, you know, it is undeniable that this movie was way more ambitious than Batman versus Superman. And Batman versus Superman failed miserably, and this movie fucking nailed it. And I want to talk about why very quickly, uh, because this is coming back to DC. Guys, you have so much good kind of... We had, we had a whole segment on this a while back. Why DC basically massively fucked up. Um, and a part of it is that this movie did set up all the backstory correctly, right? Oh, yeah. But, um, it, but it took... It took ten, a, a library of movies, but like all of the backstory was in place. And to a certain extent, the same can be said for Batman vs. Superman because there's such big characters in the, um, in the con- public consciousness that you don't need as much backstory. And really, the only thing they need to provide was the emotional backstory, which was kind of but not really done, right? Um, I thought a, a, an interesting parallel is that, you know, Batman spends all this time going, oh, he's destroying all of the things during the, the Batman vs. Superman movie, and then they end up destroying, like, a massive swathe of downtown Gotham in the final fight. Whereas, you know, they, the, the Civil, Civil War goes, oh, we're destroying all the shit, and then Stark evacuates the airport before they duke it out. There are no, apart from the first scene in the movie, there are no civilian casualties during this film. Yeah, and actually it's very, very noticeable that they're, after, you know, even once the conflict Oh, and, and uh, Bucky's, or, or fake Bucky's explosion at the UN. Sorry, I forgot one. But uh, that wasn't their fault. Yes, but in terms of casualties mm. caused by the Avengers... Well, can, I mean, if you, you see a change, from the moment that white book is put on their table... Yeah. They are, like, when, um, Paranoid. Captain, when Captain America and Bucky are escaping the complex... And Captain America keeps like grabbing people that are about to fall down the stairs. Yeah, and absolutely, <laughs> I thought it was amazing. Brilliant! Like they set this challenge, and then they really do follow through on it. Whereas Batman versus Superman goes, "Oh, they're destroying all of the things," and then they proceed to destroy all of the things. Yeah. Furthermore, um, like the emotional backstory, you will just never ever have the same thing. So, it, Batman versus Superman felt really unfinished in terms of you know like none of the characters' motivations made any sense to me. Whereas this film was perfectly, utterly consistent all the goddamn way through. They've taken six films to take Tony Stark, billionaire genius inventor, and break him like an egg. And it's magnificent. Like, you watch these films, you can truly, slowly track his psychological degeneration. Like a graph. Yep. Um... The third mistake that Batman vs. Superman made that this film didn't, right, is that they went gritty. Like, everything from the colour scheme to, you know, the, the subject matter was gritty, 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 gritty. Because that's what worked for DC. Fucking Batman uh, Dark Knight films, absolutely brilliant, right? Christopher yeah. Nolan, genius. You know what the Dark Knight films didn't have? Colour? Humour. Uh, well, just dark humour. There was basically no humour apart from, like, really black stuff in there. I mean, there was whole, like, you know, Bane found humour in, like, death and darkness. Yeah, but, like, that was entirely consistent with the theme. Yeah. Whereas Batman vs. Superman was like, oh, we're dark and gritty, and also, who brought that guy? Like, it really, really jarred in a way that this film didn't, because the Marvel films are colourful, and they are quippy, and... And funny. Like the way that they brought Spider-Man in, the comic relief is done, like 
consistently. Right? Yeah. It's done in a way that makes sense. Whereas the Batman versus Superman, like, it just like two guys who were just a second ago like trying to stab each other with a spear are now quipping at each other. What? What? And it was too long. Like it was shorter than this film, but it was too long. Like that basically just sums it up. Their film was too long. This one was just fine. Their film had less stuff in it and felt like it had too much in it. This film had more stuff in it and felt like it was just perfect. And ultimately it's because DC didn't manage to get the consistency between those three elements that I was talking about earlier. The humor, the conflict, and the issue they were trying to explore. Because ultimately these films were trying to explore the same issue of like what happens when a superhero gets out of control, how much collateral damage is acceptable, you know, that kind of thing. And they both tried to explore this in Captain America Civil War. Genuinely, like I shed a tear at the end because of just the emotional impact of that film, the way they broke the Avengers down the middle and left them. And Batman versus Superman, the reconciliation was like, oh, my mother's name was Martha, your mother's name was Martha, oh, well, we must be buddies then because they're both dead. I, I, <laughs> just, sure. oh, fucking hell, DC, you have so much good material and use it. You know, <laughs> your thing is dark and gritty. Do dark and gritty. Don't try and steal the best of Marvel stuff and ram it in because it won't work. Okay. Yeah. So, finally, we've been talking we, for almost an hour. Have we really? Yeah, it's, uh, we've got 52 minutes of recording. Maybe we, might... we should call this a double header and leave proportional representation. Yeah, I think, I think we might have to um, double up a segment. Yeah, we'll call this a double. double. Uh, we'll discuss it during the break and then let you know afterwards. Um, but, James, score out of ten. Nine and a half. Nine and two thirds. No. Yeah, nine and a half. What, what 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 was the half for? Just out of interest. You mean the half that's missing? Yeah. Um. The London. <laughs> right. Stuff. I'm going to give this film a ten. Oh. Not because the film was perfect, but because the film set out to do about twenty things, and achieved all of them. Just in terms of like, it would get a good report card. Like in terms of like cinema. Matographic excellence, right? They set out this enormous, daunting list of goals, like, like you know, keep all the characters consistent and explore this massive plot, and like, also lay a fuck ton of groundwork for Infinity Wars. Like, you know that a lot of the backstory they've laid is going to come back in that next movie. Oh, yeah. Like, they've laid groundwork. They've done character development. They've sort of broken the Avengers into in a perfectly consistent way. They've demonstrated the complete mental breakdown of Tony Stark. They destroyed the relationship between Iron Man and Tony Stark, which has been on the rocks since they first met. Iron Man and Captain. America. Iron Man and Captain America, which has been on the rocks since they first met they didn't like each other they managed to have superheroes punching each other gratuitously without it being a problem they had like the moment when war machine was shot down and everyone was like oh fuck what the hell are we doing and like he's on crutches now they almost killed the guy he's, he's paralyzed they genuinely the almost killed the guy like they, they are not afraid to take one of their superheroes and go yep you're now paraplegic we have no qualms about dealing with that in the next movie right and yeah, they're going to put him in the suit and he's still going to be able to fly and shit. But like on the ground, that guy's crippled for life. And they just did that kind of casually. They shot the guy down and they're like, oh, we need a kind of hard hitting moment to make sure that everyone's okay. Right, paralyze the guy. Yeah. And like they're going to be dealing with that for the next oh. four movies. 
These guys bite off so much and then they fucking chew it. 10 out of 10. Not because it was perfect, but because of, like, just what it achieved. Fucking hell. That was... That can't have been an easy movie to make. No. That can't have been an easy movie well, to you make. Mean, you mean to write, really? Well, I think, like, the acting as well. The acting just, like... While we're on the subject, the acting was brilliant. I thought maybe um, the pre, pre-suited Spider-Man was a little naff, but, like, yeah. he's a kid, so it's fine. Also, like, he's, like, basically got a really short amount of time to give an awful lot of character background. Yeah. Like, they had to dump a lot of information in that very small scene because that's what they had time for. Yeah. Um, like, Iron Man and... Uh, so, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. basically live their characters. I'm, yeah. I'm, like, never going to be able to see Scarlett Johansson the same way again. Frankly, like, she also just inhabits that skin. I thought um, Paul Rudd was as good as he was in Ant-Man. I don't know if you ever saw that film. No, I didn't. I'd recommend it. It was quite I, good. I, I think it's on my but list. His 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 kind of the 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 kind of snarky kind of underdog kind of like trying to be cool but not quite managing it kind of thing he brings to that character is brilliant. Uh, Hawkeye. I thought it was a bit lame that they brought him in after he retired, but he's always really fucking good as Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, fuck. Who else did we have in there? Like Rhodey didn't get as much. Um, screen time as he did in some of the um, oh, no, Iron Man he's... movies but like what little he, he did get he used to great success what did you think of um, oh, Sam Stern the guy who played Bucky I can't remember his name something beginning with an S what the, the, the acting yeah the acting um, mostly very good um, I thought he could have looked a bit more surprised when his arm went missing but maybe like they didn't connect the nerve ending so that was fine yeah the, the dynamic <laughs> I thought the dynamic between um, Captain America and Bucky was really well done like it was always kind of a bit on edge like is he going to turn I thought his exploration of like his own like inability to control his mind was quite well done yeah I mean because in all the other times we see him he's just like oh, 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 winter soldier fight stuff and suddenly like he had you know like coherent full sentences like, this, is, this is a guy um, who like is genuinely struggling with the fact that he got broken down by Hydra yeah like and the Soviets messed him up. That's portrayed really also. well. Like my mind, the mind boggles at how much detail they managed to put into this film. Genuinely, genuinely does. Right, we're going to save proportional representation for next week. Yeah, we're going to call this a double segment, um, and we're going to move on to the theory of nothing. Um, maybe a little bit more concisely. Yeah. Thank you for sticking with us. I hope this was interesting. Um, if you want more of this long form stuff, do let us know. Because certainly I, and to a lesser extent, James can just keep on talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. Yep. The light to illuminate the darkness of ignorance. The theory of nothing. Hello, and welcome to the theory of nothing. We're doing our inaugural tech episode this week. Yeah, or future tech. Future tech. Um, we're dabbling in futurology. And trying to throw our hat into the discussion uh, that is going to really have to start really quite soon about human- how humanity is going to deal with the technologies that arise this century. Um, so, to start with, we're going to talk about nanotechnology. Yeah. Do you want me to explain what it is, or oh, no, I, do I will. you want to? <clears throat> ah. Okay, so, probably most of you know that, you know, use a microscope to look at things that are 
micrometers in size. Mm-hmm. And so nanotechnology is basically technology created from things that are nanometers inside. And to give you a kind of sense of scale, if you take a strand of hair and compare that to a size of a house, mm-hmm. then a carbon nanotube is the same scale uh, is like the the other way, right? So the, the strand of hair is the size in the middle of a house and a carbon nanotube, which is mind-boggling, right? Yeah. Or, alternatively, a Grand Prix Speedway to an ant is also the same. And then yeah. the other direction is a, is a nanoparticle. These are very small, but we are starting to um, figure out how they work and yeah. the kind of things that they could be useful for. Nanotechnology is essentially the manipulation of shit on an atomic scale. Yeah, so basically single molecules. Yeah, so what you're looking at is things ranging from a few thousand, ten thousand atoms in size to sort of like tiny, tiny machines made up of tens or hundreds of atoms. Yeah, it's um, crazy. Like you're you're looking at um, like this is the culmination of sort of incredible research in condensed matter, in quantum field theory, in biology. Like all of these really disparate fields are coming together, and you're sort of trying to replicate things like cellular mechanisms. These things tend to be a, le- a hell of a lot smaller than cells, right? Oh yeah, that's They're the tiny. kind of scale we're talking about here. Like bacteria dwarf these things. So you 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 know um, from biological physics you get things like sort of um, cellular scale motors that you build with and scale down and you're using condensed matter to build things like carbon nanotubes and sort of basically micro circuits. Um, the possibilities are near endless, but what you're basically looking at is imagine any machine that we can build like on our kind of scale and you can build something equivalent um, on the kind of size scale that you can fit comfortably inside a human blood vessel without the human noticing. So, which we may come on to later. We're going to start with sort of um, industry type applications and move on to the way more terrifying biological applications later. Okay. So, um, you think 3D printing is pretty great? Yeah. Imagine like. A, a nanotechnological printer that could basically print anything you want. Like print a molecule. Print a molecule, print a steak, print a bed. Um, where, like, with a few basic elements and a shit ton of energy, which we will come on to in a later episode when we talk about fusion power. Um, but suffice to say for now that once we crack fusion, we basically have access to effectively unlimited energy until we start like astro-engineering. Um, so given enough power and basic elements, you can construct anything you want as long as you have a template for it. You could build a computer, you can build a bottle of beer, you could build snagglepuss, I don't know, if it's biologically sound, we can make it. Um, and when you start looking at this, sort of the question of monetary value really starts to lose meaning. Yeah. Because when, like, out of raw materials, you can basically print anything you want. The only real constraint is going to be how many asteroids we can mine for metals. Yeah. Yeah, basically, the the two things that will then cost money are intellectual property, i.e. the designs, and raw materials. Yeah. So, 
there's not there will then there'll be no such thing as you know you know quote unquote craftsmanship and that kind of thing or you know well, going, I'm sure... going to or you know having a Michelin star doesn't mean anything because if I find the designs for your Michelin star meal I can put it in my machine and get, get I'm sure there will still be a you. market for such oh, things well, right yeah because there are of course going to be people who are like very very anti this and will try and keep up kind of uh old you know manual culture I don't know what it will end up being well, called but you know uh, um if you're looking at something with a very, very high level of sort of small-scale complexity, um, just in terms of logistics, getting that printed and mainly just storing the design is going to be more complicated than perhaps is entirely necessary. So when we're talking about printing food, at least at first, it's probably going to be fairly simple. Like, you know, you, you lay down the meat in, like, replicable small blocks. So it won't taste as good at first. And particularly when this technology is first coming in, the quality of the kind of stuff you're building is going to be, like, aesthetically it won't be great because it will be quite simple. So a bed carved out of wood will still look better than a bed you've printed off from, like, wood replicant um, but once like one of these can basically serve your basic needs um, with minimal cost yeah you lose a lot of motivation for all but the most skilled of jobs like this combined with sort of the AI revolution that we were talking about way back in the day yeah um, is going to obsolete a lot of human labor you won't need Ikea anymore no, you can just print off your new bookshelf. Yeah, I think I imagine you know it's it's difficult to tell, but most people will probably have a, a small scale one of these in their homes, and you can go to larger Depots. stores essentially yeah. and basically buy a design and say print this for me. Basically, imagine Argos, but where the back isn't full of cardboard boxes full of stuff; it's just full of printers printing stuff. Yeah, um, if you know what an Argos and, is. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, let's not bother. A Walmart. Is well, Walmart's kind no, of like a. I want. You, I'm talking about catalog shops. It doesn't matter. Do you have Argos in America? Probably they have something equivalent. So should we talk about a couple of the places, the other places before we go on to medicine? Um, talk about some of the applications that nanotechnology is finding um, at the moment. So for example, sure. um, so what nanotechnology gives us is a really fine control over properties, mm-hmm. right? In terms of functionalities of, of materials. And one of the really cool things to come out of nanotechnology research in the last uh, five, ten years is aerogels, mm-hmm. which are basically these gels which are incredibly... Uh, they have very low density, yeah, but they're also flame retardant. They're like as strong as steel. They're amazing. And they're <laughs> basically like you can... I mean, if you look at lots of their kind of promo, you know, kind of you know, press release material, it's all like, you know... Oh, here's three Bunsen burners. Here's a bit of aerogel on top. And here is, like, you know, something precious on the top that is being both supported by it and protected from the flame underneath. And it's being used... Um, it will especially be useful in space. Space! Stuff. But also, you know, it may eventually find its way into things like helmets, uh, cars, anything where, you know, you want to protect it's, from impact. It's basically God's packing foam. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like... And this is just the very tip of the iceberg. Like, in terms of electronic solutions, um, the kind of stuff we can do with graphene is absolutely amazing. Once we can start layering that down, um, it will obsolete copper in circuit boards because it has a way lower resistivity. Um, So we can make circuits on unimaginably tiny scales. The only bit we're missing at the moment is some kind of nanoscale graphene transistor. 
and you can bet it's only a matter of time. And yeah, at that I mean, point, there, there are teams looking into this right like, now. People are working on this right now, just meters from where we live, hundreds of maybe maybe a kilometer at most from where we live. Yep. There are people who go into the lab every day and basically try and build these things, sort of circuit boards so tiny that you can fit them into your body, um, sort of circuit boards so small and so power efficient that like basically your whole phone can be battery and antenna um sort of can you imagine the unlimited applications of tiny cheap energy efficient circuit boards spying they'll be woven into clothing they'll be sort of put into lamps they're Fuck, like mirrors, I don't know. Pick a thing, it can probably benefit from tiny nanoscale low energy circuit boards. Yeah. Like we're talking about the kind of technology that can reasonably be powered by wireless electricity. You put one hub in the middle of your house, it's not particularly efficient, but all of this nanoscale stuff just gets powered by it constantly. The applications are limitless. From an industry point of view, like James was talking about these materials, like there's, we can theorize about making graphene cables uh, Which would be really cool. Basically, uh, carbon nanotubes are thousands of times stronger, uh, more have thousands of times greater tensile resistance than steel, right? Yep. So if you never, can make a rope out of it, it won't break. They're way they're way lighter. Uh, it's one of the only materials we've been able to theorize that could reasonably build a space elevator. Now, you probably don't want to build one on Earth because atmosphere, but like the Moon. Yeah. Sure. Mars. Mars doesn't have much of an atmosphere yet. Um, the applications are essentially limitless. Um, they will give us powers like unto gods over the real world. But, of course, with uh, great power comes great responsibility. And this brings me on to my uh, my list of nano-no-nos. Nano-no-nos. <laughs> um, and one, you know, you were just mentioning, you know, these devices everywhere. Well, you know, say hello to Theresa May and her all-seeing yeah. eyes and ears. Um, everywhere. Undetectable. Und- well, that's the thing, right? Um, futurologists like Ray Caswell, who I think I mentioned a fortnight ago when we first started talking about this, theory about, theorize about, um, I'm sure you've heard about grey goo, right? Basically, uh, grey goo is a theory, theoretical sort of problem that happens when you allow nanobots to self-replicate, which is really the only way you're going to be able to create a whole bunch of nanobots, right? Because yeah. you can't build them by hand because you need billions. So you're going to have to create nanobots that build other nanobots. Um, and if you're really smart, you'll create nanobots that can also replicate themselves. And then you start running into trouble because people are like, oh, what happens when like they get loose and the whole planet gets turned into grey goo? Which is like surprisingly a legitimate concern. Yep. It's a bit overhyped, um, but... And grey goo is where these little yeah. replicating robots basically consume, consume all everything. Matter. All yeah. of the things. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of control mechanisms we can build in, blah, 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 blah. But from a terrorist point of view, if you figure out how to build one of these, like, you could destroy the Earth. Yeah, and I mean, at the moment, there are, basically, you know, you could also, well, there is a, there is scope for nanotechnology weapons, right? Oh, God, yeah. Where, you know, if you can find a way of basically delivering something fatal using a piece of nanotechnology that is essentially undetectable. Yeah then you've basically got a, a, a mass murder weapon right there. Yeah, you know, so terrifying. In, in, in sort of answer to these, people theorize about basically nanotechnological immune systems, which means spreading like the whole planet with a sort of immune system against out-of-control nanotechnology. 
which will, in theory, detect and watch other nanobots and try and bring them under control if they look to be getting out of control. And everything just starts going ballistic, right? Yeah, but also then you need to have the one that you trust. Yes. Right? So... And ah... Horrifyingly powerful technology, basically limitless in scope. We should quickly run through some of the biological applications. Yeah, some of the medical applications. So, um, I mentioned earlier that they can fit comfortably inside a human blood vessel because these things tend to be smaller than a red blood cell. Yep. Right? You're looking at stuff that is smaller than a red blood cell, significantly smaller than a white blood cell. Yeah. So, on the scale of red blood cells. Happily have these floating around in your bloodstream, and at that point, what you can do is limitless. Again, like that's a theme with this with the technologies we're going to be discussing. Um, Low-level stuff includes constant medical surveillance of things like blood pressure, uh, blood pH, um, carcinogens, toxins. You name it, you can build a Sugar nanobot levels. that can keep track of it. And through your your wristwatch or whatever, you can have constant access to all of your health data. You can get early warnings on sort of cancer spreading you can get early warnings on catching the flu uh fuck it it will replace your immune system because these things can be actually be designed to be way more efficient like cure for cancer cure for aids cure for whatever the fuck sort of um foreign body disease yeah they can also be you know scraping the inside of your arteries they can be detoxifying your liver kidneys cholesterol uh, repair kidneys repair your liver fucking replace liver function uh we can use them to add or augment biological senses you could quite easily for example use them to give you a sense of electromagnetic fields um because what you can also do is hook them into the neuro neuro, uh, neural system right um either at the extremities or in the brain itself which gives you access to whatever the fuck kind of sense you want to come up with be that electromagnetic or sort of ultraviolet or x-ray vision um if you hook them into the brain you can basically it's the best theorized way of creating a uh, biological technological interface um, which means nanobots yeah this is the most sort of promising looking avenue so far of allowing technological augmentation of consciousness Uh, we can use them to not only repair the body but also replace parts of the body Uh, so for example if I wanted to replace all of my bones with steel nanobots could do that might take a couple months might take a couple months but nanobots could do that uh, if I wanted to upgrade my eyes, if I wanted to upgrade my sense of smell, you name it. Once I've got nanobots able to, like, basically augment my body from the inside, not only will we have power like unto gods, we will be like unto gods. Like, this is the manipulation of matter on the quantum scale. It opens up to us an enormous world of theoretical possibilities. If it's mathematically possible, if you can think of it, you can probably do it with nanotechnology. It's the single most powerful technology humans will ever discover, possibly, apart from potentially faster than light travel. In terms of the applications, in terms of, like, what it will allow us to do, it's almost limitless. And we were talking about the wealth gap the other day, and this is going to be a recurring theme... This is going to push it open. Yeah. Let's say. With this kind of power, society is not ready to handle that. I mean, forget the whole, like, alpha, beta, uh, alpha through epsilon thing in Brave New World. This is just alpha, epsilon. There's, there will be no middle ground. If you are wealthy enough to basically augment yourself, then you are wealthy enough to augment yourself and you become part of the... Yeah, the upper the, the, tier. The, the, the upper tier. So... 
this, fortunately, the saving grace here is that some of the applications we've been talking about are near in the future, like nanoscale printers, like probably around in the I mean, next 20 years in a basic way. I mean, there will be some medical applications in the near future. Things like, um, so you may have seen the most recent Samsung Super Ultra HD TV advert that uses quantum dots as its yep. um, uh, light generating uh, component. That was a really bad way of putting it. The yep. bit that makes the light, the bit, bit that, that does the pixels. Makes the pretty. Um, they've already figured out that um, quantum dots are pretty good at finding their way uh, to cancerous cells. And the great thing about, about quantum dots is that you don't need to shine X-rays and gamma rays on them to make them do stuff. You just no. need UV light, right? Which okay causes a little bit of skin cancer, but you can kind of tune it so that it's not dangerous. Which means that you can, but you'd be basically, this is already going to be, all, you know, in the near future, will be used as diagnostic tools, especially yeah. surrounding cancers and drug delivery. There's always there's always news coming out about how. No, oh, we, fa- yeah. we found a new thing that we can stick a protein onto and it will go where it needs to go. Like, these are near-future things yeah. that are non-augmentative. Yeah, the augmentative stuff are, is much more in the are, future. Uh, what's the word? Harbingers? Yes. <laughs> of, of the future. Like, the low-level stuff we were talking about, the vaguely exciting kind of cool stuff is going to be the next 15, 20 years tops. Um, more long-term, like, the more we research this, the more powerful we become. At some point, we will literally have the power to essentially maneuver individual atoms on an industrial scale. And at that point, all bets are off. So we will have some warning on this one. Um, Unlike some of the technologies we will be discussing later on um, in this series. Uh, But yeah, you could, I imagine you can start to see why we are concerned that society can't handle the power. Yeah. Humans still kind of have a tendency to resort to solving their problems by like putting bits of metal in each other like which we've been doing for tens of thousands of years now yeah humans have been solving problems by putting bits of metal in each other since we first discovered bronze and we still really haven't quite grown out of it and that concerns me because humans can now put all kinds of other way nastier things inside of each other than metal yeah should we wrap up this? We should wrap uh, up. Uh, you can Twitter us at FTPCPod. You can email us, FTPCPod at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and we'll drink alcohol. And if you want to find the show notes, also called the doobly-doo, for this episode, I don't think there's going to be that many, uh, or any previous episode, simply head to F2PCPod.wordpress.com. Thank you for sitting through our Captain America marathon. We were very excited about that film. Uh, I'm really excited about, um, what is it, Doctor Strange, which has Benedict Cumberbatch, which is coming out in November? Yeah. No, earlier than that. October. I can't remember. We, go, we, we, it's we Marvel, talked about it previously. It's Marvel and Benedict Cumberbatch, and I just can't wait. Um, it's been a pleasure, ladies and gentlemen. We will talk to you next week. Ta-da. Plan C Flatters Plan C Flatters Plan C Oh yeah